Sometimes it feels like the world is so messed up, like the world could be coming to an end. So it's easy to wonder, is God really in control? Hey folks, it's Karen G from Tower Hills Communications Team. Thanks for listening in to our weekly podcast. We hope you hear something right now that helps you dig deeper in your faith. And if you like this message, please share it with a friend. This week, we're in our final chapter of our sermon series called The Story. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Well, thanks again for joining us. We are in the final installment of the story. We started this back in the beginning of October, and now we are landing here. This is it. We have gone cover to cover in the message of God all throughout from Genesis now into Revelation that we're going to be talking a bit about today. So, man, it's been a great journey. I am so glad you've been on this with us. And let's get to it because this right here, if we're honest, people have been talking a lot about the end times lately. Gee, I don't, I don't know why. I can't really imagine. Yeah, it's crazy. Viruses, the pandemic, earthquakes, tornadoes. I remember when we first went on lockdown, there was all these horrible natural disasters that were happening as well. Earthquakes, tornadoes. And, you know, I mean, for some people in New Jersey, got snow as a result of the last storm that we just had. Just a little bit, but we don't know what is going on. And I think there are some things, it's like, you're tempted to look at, at each other and just be like, this is it, isn't it? it this is how we're going to go. I mean, it doesn't help that the beginning of this pandemic started like every zombie movie you've ever seen, right? The CDC has come out and said, everything's fine, just wash your hands. That was clearly not exactly the case. And listen, I don't fault them. Everybody's doing their best. I really believe that. Everybody has been doing their best to figure out how to respond to things that we don't have the answer to. But I know that people have been talking about, like, I don't know, I, is Jesus coming back? What is going on? This feels like something is different than it's ever been. It feels like we're closer to the end than we've ever been before. And now, now listen, there's no shortage of fiction that's been created around this. Um, but, you know, first of all, the, real life, thinking about the Titanic. So... The story of the Titanic goes is that, so these are pictures of uh, the Birkenhead band who famously, when the Titanic had hit the iceberg and it was going down, the band played while the passengers got onto the lifeboats as a way of comforting them. In fact, it was said that there were a couple of band members at the very, very end who when the ship went down were still playing. And some of the eyewitnesses, they said that one of the tunes that they were playing was a hymn Nearer, my God, to thee. And I ha can't help but wonder, because I know that some people believe this, especially people who, who don't have faith in Jesus. They think, is that the church? Is that us? Are we just simply playing a song to comfort the people as the whole ship goes down? Is that our role? We're just a, a comforting agent. We're like that nice, peaceful background music as everything just dives into chaos well we don't believe that if that were the case i don't know again i'd go find something else to do that's that's not hope that's just that's just a you know placebo it's it's like just taking care of us as the ship goes down isn't exactly 
I think, what we have in mind when we think of our faith. And back to the fiction, I mean, my goodness, there's so much that has been written about the end times. The most popular of which is the Left Behind series. Many of you have read this series. It was even made into a movie starring Kirk Cameron, which I think every Christian book is made into a movie with Kirk Cameron. Uh, that aside, Left Behind was a huge, huge success. I mean, even what this picture shows is that over 60 million copies were sold. That was just when this picture was taken. It's been, it's been so, I mean, millions and millions of copies sold. And then, of course, we've all seen the movies, right? The Arnold Schwarzenegger, End of Days. Like, and we get these things in our head, all of these things about culture. But here's the problem. The problem is, is when fiction becomes our main source of information about the end times. And I've found this to be true. When people start talking about revelation or they start talking about what the end times are going to be like, I hear them quoting things like left behind. But that's fiction. It's kind of like the same phenomenon that happened with the Da Vinci Code about church history. Everybody got their church history from the Da Vinci Code. They're like, hey, what's up? Is that really true? No, it's fiction. But, but I think because these fiction works of fiction do a good job of helping us frame things, because Revelation is so confusing, we kind of remember what's easier to remember. So today, we're going to talk a bit about what that looks like. Here's the other problem with Revelation. Preachers. Yep, preachers. We are one of the biggest problems when it comes to the book of Revelation. You have seen, probably on TV, more than one preacher with a big end times mural in the background and they're going to tell you exactly how it's going to go down and they're yelling and foaming at the mouth well not all of them but they spend a lot of time going through these are what all the symbols means and this is what you need to be afraid of and you know don't vote for this guy because he's the antichrist and don't like it's they got it all figured out but this can actually be very very dangerous because when a preacher tries to tell you i can tell you the signs I can tell you how it's going to go down. Or I can tell you when it's going to happen. There are some who have said things like that. Here's the problem. The problem is, that's not what scripture says at all. Look at the gospel of Mark. It says this. But about that day or hour, no one knows. What, what is that? Does that mean? Well, well, preachers might know. No. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun. You realize what that's saying? Not even Jesus knows. And then you kind of get in your head around that. Yeah, but he's God. But yeah, but he's like the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. But they're three in one. Listen, I don't know. But it's just saying nobody knows the hour but only the Father. The one who is in control of all things. The Father knows. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. So you don't know. And I think we need to get our heads a little bit away from the fiction, and yes, even from things we've heard from preachers. I might say things today, and you're like, yeah, I could shelve that. Okay, that, fair enough. But I want to take a little bit of a different approach as a way of understanding and explaining the book of Revelation. Uh, I think it's a little bit like walking through a trail. Um, my understanding of God and like what does the end times mean and the book of Revelation and and why do I feel so ang so much anxiety about wondering if God's in control 
It's like uh, if I'm walking on a trail and the trail's nice and clean and I'm walking along, uh, I have no question that somebody's maintaining the trail. But then let's say I get to a part of the trail and it's a little bit overgrown and I think to myself, boy, someone's got to get out here and trim this down. Like, I, I can barely see the trail. Somebody's been maybe a little neglectful and they need to pay attention. Or then maybe I get to another part of the trail and it's so overgrown that I lose the trail. And then I think to myself, there is nobody taking care of this thing. And I think that's how sometimes we feel in life when we see the things around us. And sometimes things are a little bit overgrown and we're like, come on, God, you know, where are you in this? And then we get to a part where it's so overgrown, we wonder if God's even there, if God's even real, if God's in control at all. And I think the book of Revelation is meant to answer this question. With everything going on in the world and in my life, is God really in control? That's what Revelation is trying to answer. So, Revelation. Um, I hear a lot of people say revelations. They refer to it as revelations. It's not revelations. It's revelation. So, a way to, to keep it straight is there are many visions in the book, but one revelation. There is one point to the whole book. And, and I think this matters because... When we go through and we're like, well, this means this, and this means this, and this means this, we think there are a bunch of like separate revelations that are supposed to piece together into one big whole. But no, it's many visions, one revelation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So as we get to Revelation, we have to start to understand what this book was about. It was, it was about Christians and Roman culture, because all of the symbology that we find in Revelation is all supposed to mean something that the people would understand. It was like a secret code. And so the, the new Christians who were reading this book, they would understand what the code meant. That's why when we start trying to figure out what the code means, we get all messed up because it's not clear to us. We weren't in that culture. So we start inventing things that that code means. But they knew exactly what it meant and had everything to do between the battle of ancient Roman culture and the Christians. You see, being a Christian in Roman culture was difficult because the whole Roman way of life was based on believing that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Caesar, it's called the emperor cult. And so the emperor cult says Caesar is Lord. Therefore, when you say Jesus is Lord, that's like a political statement. That's something that says, no, 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 Caesar's not Lord. And it immediately puts them at odds with the Roman Empire. Moreover, remember, they're eating food sacrificed to idols in the Roman culture. And the Christians wouldn't participate in that. And so immediately the Romans are just like, what's the matter with you Christians? Don't you like a party? Aren't you going to participate? The Christians never participate. They don't care about Rome. They don't believe in anything we believe in. They become those other ones, those enemies of the state. And of course, idol worship. The Christians weren't bowing down to worship idols. Now this led to great persecution of the Christians. And then the Christians started wondering, is God really in control? Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was more powerful than Caesar. If Jesus is Lord, why is it not making a difference in how my life is going? Maybe you've asked that question maybe a time or two as well. And so... Let's get into Revelation. 
Because the whole point is to answer the question, right? The whole point of Revelation is this. That the kingdoms of this world will end and the kingdom of God will be fully realized. The kingdoms of this world, including the Roman Empire, will end. And the kingdom of God will be fully realized. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. These are some of the promises. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. In other words, we're all going to live together and we're going to be with God. He's going to be with us, not just spiritually, but we're going we're to see him. We're going to know him. We're gonna, it's going to be completely different when, in this new way when God makes all things new. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And in this language and the use of God's throne was meant to tell them, listen, God is in control. No matter what you think is going on out there, no matter what you're experiencing, God is in control. And this idea of God's throne comes from a Jewish mysticism that we see uh, from Genesis 1 and Ezekiel 1. And Revelation itself is built on this Jewish apocalyptic imagery. This is the same kind of Im imagery that we see in Daniel, right? It's this idea of there's all these symbols going on, but it's meant to say one thing. It's meant to say, no matter how much evil seems to have its day, in the end, all that will be left standing is God and his throne, his kingdom. And we're to view this as, listen, despite all the evidence to the contrary, God is in control. Revelation is built on this imagery. So that when somebody read Revelation, they would feel a sense of hope because they knew how this whole thing is going to end. Let's go on to Revelation 4. This kind of gives you a nice picture of this imagery that, that we know and actually is in the song that we just sang. Here's a picture of the heavenly throne room. Verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There's more symbols too. The 24 elders. And again, like all the numbers, they mean something. 24 elders, right? The 12 tribes of Israel plus the 12 disciples. It's all symbolic. It's all baked into the imagery here that they would understand when they read it, but we really have no idea what they're talking about. At least we don't without kind of studying it. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive the glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So what 
what was going on here? What was the whole point? The whole point of this was to say that God is more powerful than Rome. No matter what you think, God is more powerful than Rome. He is working all things out. Evil will not have its day. It will not last forever. God will triumph. You know how this whole thing ends. And so looking at all this symbolic language and the symbolic numbers, it's all pointing to say that God is in control. Even, I think it's really interesting, even the number that they came up for the beast, for Satan, 666. So in this Jewish apocalyptic imagery, we know that, of course, even in Jewish thinking, the number seven is the number for wholeness, is the number for wholeness or perfection. And the idea of 666 is that it's mocking Satan. It's saying, you're never going to reach the perfection of God. You're going to be at infinity at six. You're never going to hit seven. You are lower and you always will be. So when somebody read that about the mark of the beast, they felt the hope of the perfection of God. And then when we see in places in Revelation where it's talking about the seven this and the seven that, it's meaning the God things. The wholeness of things, the fullness of things. And remember, the whole point is despite what you see, God is in control. No matter how overgrown you think the path has become, God is in control. Let's continue. Revelation 1, written to all seven churches. So we know that this means that it is the perfection number. It means to all churches out there. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. It's, uh, it's interesting. So to the seven churches, really, this is a message of no matter what you've seen, don't lose your hope. This thing is not over. In other words, churches, wake up. Wake up. And don't you feel God calling to us churches in the middle of this disruption all over again? Look, church, this is the perfect opportunity to wake up, to remember that I am in control that evil will not rule forever. Yes, you're seeing a lot of bad stuff around you. The path is really overgrown. But trust me when I tell you, I know how this ends. It ends in life. It ends in victory. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about God's relationship with us and our heart shaping. I'm like, what does that mean? That God is kind of shaping us through our environment and encounter and empowerment. And we also talked about suffering for the sake of the gospel. And what does that mean, this idea of sacrifice? And we said that, that also that we are brought near 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. But then, what does all of this mean? This is what Revelation answers. When we start asking, well, why? Why did God go to all this trouble? What is the point of all of this? And the point is God's justice. In the end, God's justice will prevail. What do I mean? Well, we believe in a just God. That means that he rewards good and punishes evil. You wouldn't want God any other way, would you? <laughs> no matter how bad you might complain, we say God is good because God is just. He hates sin. He loves what's good. He loves love. He hates sin. And so God's justice will prevail. And this is meant to be a great encouragement like we just read, I'm the one who was and is and is to come. I'm going to make all things new. You need to trust me that my justice is coming. And you play a role in this. You're heart shaping, right? You're suffering for the sake of the gospel. You are helping bring as many people with you so that when this whole thing ends, they will be a part with you and with me. Justice is meant to encourage the faithful. So we trust in the empty tomb. We trust that because what Jesus did, it has changed everything for us. That, you see, our faith, our faith in what's to come changes how we live right now. I always say it's like DVRing the big sports game. Those sports fans out there, when you DVR the game, sometimes you see the score before you get to sit down and watch it. So let's say you know your team wins before you sit down to watch the game. So then when you watch it and you know your team wins at the end, it changes how you watch the game now. You're not throwing stuff at your TV when they throw an interception or they do something crazy that that's upsetting and the usual roller coaster of watching your your favorite team or cheering for your favorite team no you know how it ends so when you see your team make a mistake when things look really bad when the path looks really overgrown you say eh, no problem i can't wait to see how they get out of this one because i know how it ends listen this is the purpose of revelation in our lives is it's like dvr in the game we know how it ends it ends in victory. Therefore, we don't lose heart now. We don't lose hope now. It changes how we live our life now. It doesn't mean that we don't suffer. We don't experience pain. We don't weep at tragedy. But we never despair. We never despair. Because we know how it ends. And I think Christians... Maybe even you watching this morning need to be reminded of that. We know how all of this ends. It ends with all of us gathered around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is and is to come. Well, I hope this journey of the story has helped you in your walk with Jesus it gives us faith in three tenses. Because of what God has done in the past, we can trust his promises in the future, which shape our lives 
in the present? How will your story unfold? That's up to you, isn't it? I pray that as you go out through your day, through this week, through the rest of this pandemic, and into whatever the next chapter looks like for your life, that you will trust him. That he has written the pages to your story, so don't dismay. Your story isn't over. In some ways, perhaps, it's only just begun. As we invite the band to come up now, I want to offer a prayer for all of us as we lean into this day and this week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you have already won the victory that we desire. Help us in Jesus' name to, to trust, to trust enough to know that whatever we see going on, we know that you're in control. And listen, we, we get so wrapped up in our lives, it's easy to forget that, and that's okay, but let us just keep coming back to it. Let us keep remembering what matters most. We ask, God, that you give us the faith and the love and the hope that we need in this dark and hurting world. Help us be the light that you have called us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.